from QNAholespodcast.com. This is The C Report with your host, Mr. C, for Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to. Uh, the C Report with Mr. C. Thanks again for being here with us uh, on this Thursday evening. Uh, chilly day down here in Texas. Um, was definitely not expecting this. If you can say or give any other example of more bipart- uh, bipartisan, excuse me, bipolar weather, then it would definitely be down in Texas. I guess I'm thinking of bipartisan because... Uh, this um impeachment is on my mind <laughs> and uh truly there's nothing really bipartisan about it um especially when you consider that all the republicans um that are not voicing their uh their um that are not voicing their true feelings about President Trump are not really speaking up. But I mean, they're all on the same side. They're all, they're all Republican in name only. But we don't believe in party politics here at the Sea Report, anyways. Uh, we take everyone based on uh, the vote that they give and based on the actions that they take. And uh, you would see plain and clearly that most Republicans and Democrats are playing for the same team, anyways. But um, let's go ahead and get straight into the news. Trump leads as always here. And we're going to talk a little bit about the impeachment. Now, I know a lot of people are just tired about hearing of impeachments and tired of uh, hearing people try to harass and harangue our president, Donald Trump. But nonetheless, it continues. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things now, again, like a um, I'm trying to do about maybe two reports per day, you know, a session A and a session B. So welcome to the A session. Uh, last night, I did not get to session B because I was uh, reviewing some of the stuff that was going on in the impeachment hearings, got tired, kind of fell asleep. But uh, so a lot for the news today. It's going to take me a minute to get warmed up, even though I may sound like I'm warmed up already. But um, we'll start with an article that we have from Breitbart. Um, now, keep in mind, first day was uh, first day of the impeachment was about the constitutionality of, you know, the entire proceedings wherein they decided that it was constitutional and they set uh, precedents that we can go ahead and uh, impeach uh, civilian presidents. So as soon as this uh, impeachment is uh, said and done with, we'll go ahead and get to uh, we'll start with the who should we start with? Should we just uh, go from most recent and go on the way down? Um, so I guess Obama would be next. But like I said, uh, with all the FISA gate warrants and Obama, Obamagate coming out and how Obama spied and did all this other stuff on the Trump campaign, or at least was aware of it and approved it or authorized it at some level, we'll go ahead and let Obama take care of himself, but we'll get him impeached as well. Um, and then we'll go forward. Um, but let's go ahead. Like I said, let's start with uh, this article from Breitbart. And we're just going to go through it. Um, it kind of talks about how at the second day at the end of the proceedings, some of the things that happened. So basically in day two yesterday, they were just going over um, how they could prove that President Trump had incited the riot 
and all of their evidence about how it was uh, incited from a long time ago and um, everything that President Trump ever stood for just basically was to uh, rile up his base and get them ready for violence on this day because he knew that January 6th was the day that he was going to have everyone come and uh, incite a violent riot. He knew that he was going to lose the election and that it was going to be rigged for him. So that's all that he's been doing the whole time. That was their argument. We'll talk a little bit about that on the other side of this article from Joshua Kaplan and Matthew Boyle. Chaos in the Senate, Democrat impeachment managers with draw statements falsely attributed to Senator Mike Lee after Schumer intervention. So, I mean, I, I did watch it. You know, I, there's a lot of things about Castro, I have to say, um, particularly because uh, he deserves to be called, called out on it. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily that there was chaos in the Capitol, but uh, this is what the article from Breitbart goes on to say. Chaos erupted at the end of the second day of the second impeachment trial of now former President Donald Trump as House Democrats were forced to withdraw from record a statement a GOP senator said was falsely attributed to him after Senate Democrats lost control of the proceedings while they sought to wrap up for the day. Specifically, the incident that distracted from the the Democrats' case against Trump began when Democrat impeachment managers Representative David Cicilline, a Democrat of Rhode Island, recalled public reporting that then-President Trump allegedly called Senator Mike Lee, Republican of Utah, by accident when he supposedly meant to call Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican of Alabama, while senators were in a temporary holding room after being evacuated from the Senate floor during the Capitol riot on January 6th. Cicilline said from the well of the Senate as he made his case to senators to convict Trump on the House-adopted impeachment article, Shortly after 2 p.m., as the siege was fully underway, then-President Trump made a call. This is the first call we are aware he made to anyone inside the Capitol during the attack. He didn't call the vice president to ask how he could help defend the Capitol. He didn't call the next two in line of succession to the presidency to check on their safety or well-being. Instead, he attempted to call Senator Tuberville. He dialed Senator Lee by accident. As Senator Lee describes it, He had just ended a prayer with his colleagues here in the Senate chamber. The phone rang. It was Donald Trump. How Senator Lee explains it, the phone call goes something like this. Hey, Tommy, Trump asks. Senator Lee says, this isn't Tommy. And he hands the phone to Senator Tuberville. Senator Lee then confirmed he stood by as Senator Tuberville and President Trump spoke on the phone. On that call, Donald Trump reportedly asked Senator Tuberville to make additional objections to the certification progress. That's why he called. Lee was clearly of the belief that the characterization of events and of comments as attributed to him in particular was inaccurate. As the Senate moved to wrap up business on the impeachment trial for the day, Lee sought to have those Cicilline comments stricken from the record. This is led to a remarkable moment where Senator Pat Leahy, a Democrat of Vermont, the president pro tempore of the U.S. Senate, who is also presiding over the impeachment trial of Trump since Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts declined to preside given that Trump is no longer in office, made an unclear ruling apparently rejecting Lee's motion. 
Lee then appealed his ruling and sought a vote in the Senate to override Leahy. And after several confusing moments, the Senate began voting on Lee's objection to Leahy's unclear ruling. After a couple senators' names were called, when the clerk began calling the role of senators to vote on Lee's objection, Senator Major- Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer spoke up and intervened to stop the vote. Schumer used a tactic called noting the absence of a quorum, essentially pausing the Senate's formal business as televised for the nation while senators and staff handle a dispute or negotiation off camera to work this out. Moments later, they came back into action and Representative Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland, the House Democrats' lead impeachment manager, admitted that Cicilline's characterization of Lee as it related to the Trump-Tuberville phone call, while based on news reports, was inaccurate. And then he withdrew the matter from the record himself without a Senate vote. The impeachment manager, Mr. Cicilline, incorrectly and accurately quoted a newspaper account, which the distinguished senator has taken objection to, so we're happy to withdraw it, Raskin said. It's not true, Lee shouted, speaking over Raskin. Raskin continued explaining why the House impeachment managers were willing to withdraw the comment attributed to Lee. A withdrawal, he said, was, on the grounds, it is not true. We're going to withdraw it this evening without any prejudice about the ability to resubmit it if possible, and then we can debate it if needed, Raskin continued, adding as Lee shouted over him, This is much ado about nothing because it is not in any way critical to our case. As Raskin walked away from the podium, Lee shouted back at him, Well, you're not being cited as a witness, sir. Schumer then came back out to uh, to recess the Senate impeachment trial until Thursday, saying that each side of the dispute has put this matter aside for now and may debate it later if needed. These fireworks on the Senate floor closed out the first full day of opening arguments in the impeachment trial of Trump in the Senate, the second such Trump, uh, the second such trial Trump has faced. He was acquitted last year in his first impeachment trial. While this mistake by House impeachment managers is unlikely to change any votes in either direction, it is pretty widely known Trump seems headed for another acquittal. This drew the attention away from the core facts of the case being offered by the manager and onto personal drama in the U.S. Senate, a clear boon to Trump's legal case. It draws attention to the fact that Leahy, not Roberts, is presiding over the trial while also serving as a juror and a witness, since he is a senator and he was there on January 6th, meaning that a Democrat senator and political opponent of the accused, President Trump, is serving as judge, jury, and witness in a trial. That's a point Trump's lawyers attempted to drive home earlier on Tuesday when the constitutionality of whether there even should be a trial was debated in the impeachment court before a vote took place that allowed the trial to proceed. Six Republican senators joined all Democrats for a 56 to 44 vote to rule that it is constitutional to hold an impeachment trial for a former president, a positive sign for Trump given that the 56 votes is nearly a dozen less than the 67 votes needed to convict Trump in the trial. Also, just because a Senate vote 
a senator voted to proceed with the trial does not mean they will vote to convict Trump in the end. And it is increasingly unlikely Democrats will flip 17 GOP senators to back conviction. Nonetheless, House Democrat impeachment matters, managers and Senate Democrat leadership proceeded with the trial despite its near certain outcome, with opening arguments from the House Democrats beginning on Wednesday. They will continue their opening arguments on Thursday and perhaps into Friday. After that, Trump's lawyers will respond with their opening arguments. It remains unclear if the Senate will hear from witnesses or have other trials, trial parts beyond the opening statements. During Trump's first impeachment trial, he was acquitted fairly quickly. This trial could proceed just as quickly, but it might take longer depending on what Democrats decide to do. Everyday Democrats are spending on this. They are wasting time that could be used on the floor of the Senate of the U.S. Senate to pass legislation addressing the various crises the nation is facing, like the coronavirus pandemic or confirming President Joe Biden's appointees. During their opening arguments on Wednesday, the House Democrat managers laid out their case against Trump by presenting tweets, news reports, videos, and photo photos that Delegate Stacey Plaskett from the U.S. Virgin Islands said proved he fanned the flame of violence, and it worked. She and Representative Eric Swalwell, the Democrat from California, provided a timeline of the Capitol attack showing models of the insurrectionist progress through the building alongside security, as well as cell phone and media footage on the scene. In one previously unreleased security video, then-Vice President Mike Pence and his family can be seen being whisked whisked away from an area near the Senate chamber by Secret Service officers as rioters entered the hallway nearby. Plaskett's representation also showed a fresh angle of the scene as the Capitol Police officer Eugene Goodman led a group of rioters away from the Senate chamber and toward a group of officers. And uh, this articles also contributed by the UPI. So very interesting. As we see here, we have already uh, Cicilline making uh, comments about phone calls. I guess he took a page from Adam Schiff, um, which needed to be recalled, which it's, it's just that type of um, obvious, um, you know, evidence or proof that they are mangling or fabricating is just evidence of where this trial is going to go and to what lengths these people will fabricate or create a reality that just does not exist. Um, and so that did cause a bit of chaos there on the floor. I don't know if I would say so much. I mean, as chaotic as, you know, as people in coats can be, you know, kind of rousing rabbles amongst each other and grumbling and mumbling and stuff like that. But that's just one example. Then here we have another example. This one comes from, it looks like maybe the Gateway Pundit, Eric Swalwell caught using Photoshop tweet at impeachment trial, hashtag fake news. Um, so this one that was from the Gateway Pundit, I also briefly heard Tori says, Com, talking about it. House impeachment manager Eric Swalwell gave a riveting performance on Wednesday reading off Trump's tweets with emotional appeal. During this theatrical performance, Swalwell read off a Trump retweet by Jennifer Lynn Lawrence. But there was one problem with that tweet. It was photoshopped. Jennifer Lynn Lawrence has never been verified by Twitter. Democrats faked that to make it look important. And Jennifer Lynn, I believe, was a lawyer that was working with Trump. And uh, so she said in one of her tweets, 
that she's never been verified, so she didn't understand how or why the Democrat-led um, prosecutorial team had a tweet with her that was marked with a blue check as having been verified. And of course, if you're verified, that means that you've sent proof of identity to Twitter uh, because you're that big an influencer that they got to know who you are and they got to verify all that stuff. You have so many followers, etc., etc. This also from just the news in regards to Eric Swalwell. Eric Swalwell fanned a false Russia story now asks to be trusted to interpret Trump's tweets. Congressman's congressman's year-long conspiracy theories on Russia collusion could be used by Trump defenders to challenge his credibility. Representative Eric Swalwell stood in the well on the Senate on Wednesday to offer the House Democrats' own interpretation of Donald Trump's tweets as evidence of violent incitement. It was... It was his last chance to stop the peaceful transition of power, the California Democrat declared, as he chronicled 18 days of Trump's tweets that preceded the January 6th Capitol riot. In essence, Swalwell told the senators sitting in judgment and the American public watching, trust me, this is what the 45th president really meant. Meant. But it wasn't that long ago when Swalwell asked America to trust him once before, declaring he and his Democratic colleagues, Democrat colleagues, had seen convincing evidence in a secret showing Trump and his campaign had conspired with Russia to hijack the 2016 election. We saw strong evidence of collusion, Swalwell proclaimed on CNN in 2018. The Republicans are now choosing to bury it. It was just one of many times the California Democrat and former prosecutor made such a claim. In April of 2019, the congressman claimed that Trump was acting on Russia's behalf. Earlier that year, he had insisted that Trump had been lying about his association with the Russian government. And back in 2018, he claimed to have found evidence that there was a conspiracy to cover up collusion between Trump and Russia. There was just one problem with his assertions. They were never true. Documents declassified by the FBI and intelligence community show investigators knew as early as fall of 2016 that the Russia collusion narrative was likely Russian disinformation or unverified rumors peddled by a Hillary Clinton supporting and paid former British spy named Christopher Steele. Special counsel Robert Mueller flatly debunked the Russia collusion narrative in his final report. The investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities, Mueller wrote. House Democrats had many options from which to choose their chief interpreter of Trump's tweets. And in picking Swalwell, they opened the door for his own credibility to be explored by Trump's defense lawyers and defenders. You can watch Swalwell's presentation on YouTube through various channels. Now, beyond Russia, Swalwell has another issue ripe for easy political picking. The entire team he sat on, the House Intelligence Committee, fanning the false Russia collusion story, he harbored a secret. Back in 2015, he had been warned by the FBI that he and his office had been infiltrated by a suspected Chinese spy. The secret openly broke into open. The secret broke open. The secret only broke 
into open in December. The potential perils of Democrats picking Swalwell for Wednesday's performance surfaced almost immediately as two GOP Senate jurors almost chimed in with doubts about his credibility. This afternoon, we have been lectured by Eric Swalwell, a guy accused of consorting with a Chinese spy. How appropriate, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky tweeted out. Added Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, that's an interesting choice. Somebody who's part of a Chinese espionage ring effectively, so it's provocative a choice. I will say that. Swalwell's office did not immediately return a call seeking comment on Wednesday, but in an interview a week ago, he offered some insights that the Russia collusion scandal and his own run-in with a female Chinese spy were learning lessons. I certainly agree that anyone could be vulnerable, and I don't think we do a good enough job of likely telling people who go into government what the threats are, he told New York Magazine earlier this month. So that's just, that's just, that is just interesting, isn't it, Mr. Hawley? Um, yes, yeah, so, so we have Eric Swalwell, who I was just sitting there watching him, and I'm like, this is the guy that, like, you know, was with a Chinese prostitute for X amount of times. Um, and he's going to read the tweets of Trump and interpret them, and... We're supposed to believe that he's a good judge of character and that he's good at judging people's words, actions, thoughts. Uh, when he, he has trouble doing that himself, um, Swalwell, do you remember why? Swalwell, that was kind of one of the jokes that was going on at the time. So you have this, you have him using fake, uh, fake tweets. Um, what else, what else, what other upstanding type of people can you have going up against Trump? You know, so many, so many things have been already hugely debunked from these individuals. Then you have someone like Castro, who he's a, a lifelong Democrat. He's a, rep, a representative from Texas. You know, he has an evil twin brother named Julian. They're the guys that, you know, outed the Trump supporters, the businesses that were doing that here in San Antonio, just so this way they could face some kind of reprisal from the community. Um, but... Castro and Cicilline, they were they were the ones that were kind of laying out the tweets of the day and kind of going through what happened throughout that day. Um, but his tweets even were heavily out of context. Um, a good example of that is how Castro had used a tweet that Trump had sent out, or it was a video on the 23rd of September, uh, when they're asking Trump if there's going to be a peaceful transition of powers um, with these ballots that they're counting. And Trump says, we'll get rid of the ballots and it will be peaceful uh, because there will be no transition. It'll be the same administration just moving forward and he took that into the context of trump saying get rid of the ballots and it'll be peaceful there will be no transition it's going to be my same administration like totally out of context come on joaquin come on the people of san antonio are not this stupid and nor are the people of america because obviously if they don't count the ballots that are fraudulent it will be peaceful because it will be a continued transition. It, there, will, there would not be a transition. It would be a continued administration. Um, he also had this other one where um, uh, he had a tweet from Trump saying that the election was rigged. 
And that was uh, the May 24th tweet that Joaquin used as an example. Um, And Joaquin goes on to say, how does he even know that the election is rigged? Like, Joaquin's trying to set up this whole storyline that by saying the election is rigged, Trump is trying to fire up his base into violence on January 6th, as if though Trump knew that January 6th was the target date. But, you know, in that same tweet, Mr. Castro, Trump does go on to tell you exactly how the election was rigged. He told us that they printed fake ballots, which has been confirmed. He told us that they were forcing people to vote or to sign the mail-in voting. Now, this is otherwise known as voter harvesting, harvesting votes, and this has been proven. Uh, We have evidence of this that was given out by Project Veritas, and it's on video of people who were harvesting votes. Uh, For example, um, that was going on in Ilhan Omar's district up there in Minnesota, and that that was not just happening for Ilhan Omar to get the votes, but also for people to vote for Joe Biden. Now, vote harvesting can be everything from forcing people to do it under duress, to paying people to do it, to um, also forging signatures. And people did this with the mail-in ballots, which were sent out in droves, not by request, but just by mandate. Uh, there were some areas in some states where everyone, uh, they just sent out, they just sent out ballots to anyone who's registered to vote to anyone who had an address, you know, and that's the difference between absentee, which Trump said time and time and again, absentee voting is okay. But this whole mail-in voting is not okay, especially when they're just mailing out thousands of random ballots to people that may not even be where they're saying they are, to um, residences that may have moved out, to people on voter rolls that may have been dead. Um, And that was also seen to be the case. So yes, Trump did tell us plain and clearly in that tweet, Mr. Joaquin Castro, how the election was rigged and how he knew. Um, And then this one was my favorite. Uh, Joaquin used an example of where Trump was saying to stop the count. And he was saying, yes, to stop the count, to get these people all riled up and they were going to go. But when exactly did Trump say stop the count? In the context Joaquin put it in, Trump was telling people to stop the count the night of the elections as the minute that Biden jumped ahead. Everyone knows Biden didn't jump ahead until the wee hours of the morning after midnight when um, his vote count suddenly spiked by thousands in some instances. When did President Trump tweet out to stop the count? Why, it wasn't until November 5th. When did President Trump get on TV and tell people to stop the count? Why, that wasn't until November 7th. When was the election for the President of the United States held? Well, that was on November 3rd. And according to United States election rules and laws, when should the count stop? Well, within 24 hours of the polls closing? At midnight? Hmm. Even if it were within 24 hours of the polls closing, we were November 7th when President Trump was telling people to stop the count. Because where do we see, um, where do we see patterns of a voter and election fraud happening where the count is taking a day, two days, three days, a week? It takes a week to count the votes? Well, we see that in places like socialist and communist countries, such as Venezuela, where that is exactly what they did. They took over a week to count their vote in order to get that election stolen. And things like that happen for Castro all the time, too. I mean, I apologize, not Castro, for um, 
for the the leader of Venezuela over there, Castro's over there in uh, in Cuba. <clears throat> But it, but this, but just the same way as we see here. Now, why is it now just as a real quick recap as to why that is uh, relevant is because the amount of votes that came in for Donald Trump were so many that most of these precincts stopped counting around 10 p.m. Some of them as, uh, as late as midnight. So this way they could then figure out how many fake ballots needed to go into those precincts in order to defend defeat Trump. That's why the vote count stopped in some places. For example, California stopped counting their vote within minutes of the poll closing, like within, you know, 20, 15, 10 minutes of the polls closing, they stopped counting their votes and they resumed counting later on. Um, So these are just some examples because they needed to figure out how many votes they were going to truck in, how many fake ballots they were going to truck in. That's why they stopped the count. And then that's why the count then took two, three, four, five days after polls closing for them to even begin to get that. And Alaska was one that took forever to close. Hey, hey, Alaska with all of what? How many handfuls of voters out there? And uh, they, they stopped it halfway through their vote because they couldn't they couldn't count that many that's you know really crazy so what else did we see here going on um that that was just that's why i think castro he was just weak on this whole thing i mean all of this is evidence of voter fraud right here uh castro also said that there were thousands of armed insurgents at the capitol that is by far false i don't i did not see a single gun unless by armed they mean with uh with uh you know uh, fire extinguishers which we'll talk about that in just a sec you know, and then also when I was reviewing some of the footage that Castro used in his uh, arguments in regards to uh, this attack on the thing, like I saw a video report that showed um, to me, it looked like a fog machine. It was a black tube as big as a human releasing fog. I don't know if they use that, those types of machines in riots, uh, cannons as big as humans that release fog. But I saw that in a video report, which made me think more of how this is a production for them. And I remember seeing fog when I was there at the Capitol going into the air and it just it didn't look like it was a bomb. I didn't hear an explosion of bombs going off. I would see fog going up. And then they showed the QAnon shaman, the leader of the QAnon movement, apparently, who and I was there. It was freezing cold. We're talking 40 degree weather or lower. And this guy's out there basically naked. I mean, I walked right by the guy in the crowd at one point when I was near the Washington Monument. And this guy was shirtless from the minute he got there until after being inside the Senate and then back out on the ground. To me, he looked like he was high up on something, probably some kind of an upper. His eyes were wide, his people seemed dilated, and he had no shirt, and he was not freezing at all. This guy had to have been on something. This QAnon shaman, who is uh, who's not a member of the Trump supporters. I don't know where this guy came from. They say he's a member of the CIA or he's uh, he's uh, some kind of uh, plant or shill. But this guy's been at several different events and has always held the QAnon uh, symbol up. And, and so I think he's one of the ones that are really giving a bad name for the QAnons. He's one of the shills that's put out there to make us look crazy. Now, in regards to more of this, uh, what were we saying? Um, uh, these thousands of insurgents were armed and deadly. That's what uh, Castro says, which is just a bunch of bull. I mean, Castro, hello, I was there. And none of us were armed, uh, at least not in the vicinity that I was at. 
<laughs> and also the timelines. Uh, Swal- was it Swalwell or Cicilline? They had the timelines. I mean, the timelines were real jacked up. They said that uh, the the uh, protesters started breaking the barricades at 12.53 and that we didn't get inside until 2. Um, it, something about the timelines just don't add up. But as far as the fire extinguishers, Tucker Carlson exposed how Democrats were lying about, um, about uh, the January 6th events, including... Um, exposing the truth about one of the officers who supposedly died there, Officer Sicknick. Now, here's the thing about Officer Sicknick and the people who died. When we were there, the only person who had been shot was the Ashley Babbitt lady um, who was shot inside the Capitol. Now, according to Castro, you know, a month later, six to seven people have died. I've heard about at least four officers dying. Um, But the reports that were given about Officer Sicknick on the legacy media and all around on all of the the news media networks was that Sicknick had been hit in the head with a fire extinguisher and beaten by Trump supporters that day at the Capitol. When, um, according to uh, Tucker Carlson, Officer Sicknick's brother had reported that he had been texted by his brother, Officer Sicknick, Um, hours after Trump supporters had gone home and told him that he had been uh, pepper sprayed twice, but otherwise he was okay. Officer Sicknick's brother was texted that he was okay. He had been pepper sprayed twice. But 24 hours later, Officer Sicknick is dead. The coroner said said that he had suffered a stroke. The body was immediately cremated and the autopsy has been unreleased. So what's really going on here with Sicknick, who the story of Officer Sicknick is he was beat with the fire extinguisher in the head by every major media news network for hours after the January 6th electoral, electoral vote false flag. So what's really going on here? You know, and that's just something that um, Tucker Carlson had said. So we see that there's all types of voter fraud. There's all types of shenanigans going on with this entire election process from the beginning to the end. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that. From the Gateway Pundit, huge development, hand recount finds Dominion voting machines shorted every Republican candidate in Wyndham, New Hampshire, 300 votes. Here we go. More proof of election fraud by Dominion voting machines. A recent hand recount in the Rockingham District 7 New Hampshire House race in Wyndham, New Hampshire, found that the Dominion voting machines shorted every Republican by roughly 300 votes. Granite Grok reported, The town of Wyndham used Dominion machines to count paper ballots, and upon a believable hand recount, it was confirmed each Republican was machine-cheated out of roughly 300 votes. You would think this would have been solved by the Dominion Machine Company, the Secretary of State, the Elections Unit of AG's Office, or the the Laughable Ballot Law Commission um, would have found or solved. But nope. Just like every other state that used machines that alter ballot counts in favor of political party over another, here we are.
So that short article, they're just talking about how that was found in New Hampshire. Okay, and then here let's 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 talk about this here real quick, because in addition we have we have this found with the Dominion voting machines. Then we have Smartmatic. I think they're just calling people's bluff, or it's an optic for um, it's an optic for those who are really bought and paid for by globalists to scare people. It's a it's a chill factor. It's a fear. It's a fear factor. It's a chilling effect that Smartmatic is threatening to sue, and people are folding like Fox News, folding in the face of these, these bluff, these bluff lawsuits. Um, we have, a uh, we have Mike Lindell, who's also just released a movie in regards to, uh, the election fraud and the theft. And my goodness, just in viewing some of that, I was like, wow. Um, as a, as a, one of his correspondents said, proof positive that the election was hacked by foreign interference, primarily being centered around China and the CCP as having been the primary instigators of most of these attacks. Now, this uh, article from the Epic Times, because Mike Lindell has come under attack because of this, his movie's been banned. He's been removed from several platforms. He's been banned as well. The Epic, uh, the Epic Times reports, My Pillows, Mike Lindell says sales remain strong amid cancel culture. My Pillow CEO Mike Lindell said on February 9th that sales of the company's signature product remain strong after several retailers recently stopped stocking the pillows. We've actually increased in sales. We're actually up in sales. Our shipping's behind, he told the Epic Times. Wayfair and Bed Bath & Beyond, among other retailers, stopped selling MyPillow last month. The companies faced pressure from activists who dislike Lindell's involvement in pursuing election fraud claims. Those were bots and trolls they were afraid of, Lindell said, asserting what transpired was an example of so-called cancel culture. But he also said that the companies are facing negative impacts. They're just as bad as the people that are doing it because they did it out of fear. I've been with them for years, and they're the ones that suffer because now those customers are buying directly from Mike Lindell from my pillow. So our business is up, he said. The box stores that stayed with us are way busier because they're not going they're not going to those other places because they don't have my pillow products now, he added. Walmart owned Sam's Club and other stores have have continued to offer my pillow items. Lindell told NTD last month that Americans need to step up against cancel culture or the growing trend of trying to shut down people and companies that are out of step with certain groups, primarily the modern leftist orthodoxy orthodoxy this is the time we all have to stand up against this he said lindell has become become known for talking about election fraud claims and recently debuted uh, deb a documentary absolute proof that he alleges shows the november 2020 elections involved high levels of fraud it aired on one american news last week and is set to air again this week Lindell has faced personal repercussions for his remarks about the election. Twitter recently suspended him, citing alleged violations of the company's civic integrity policy, before permanently banning the account. YouTube and Vimeo, meanwhile, took down absolute proof. Lindell told the Epic Times that they're trying to cancel me everywhere. In another example, he said Google has prevented him from buying 
buying ads for the film. We're going to get it out in spite of all of them. And then our whole country, everybody needs to see this. This isn't a political thing, he said. Everybody should be concerned. That's just terrible. Lindell was a mainstay at rallies for former President Donald Trump, but noted that he rarely spoke to him. Lindell said he hasn't seen Trump since he visited the White House just before Trump left office. So that's an amazing story here. We have Mike Lindell, who is being canceled um, because of his evidence and his uh, wanting to continue to speak out about election fraud and the 2020 election. It was a coup, ladies and gentlemen. The, um, the coup of 2020 took place um, with the Biden administration and collusion by the media um, um, Stealing this election and also illegitimately assuming office on the 20th of January 2021. And now here's another thing, because the video, the movie that Mike Lindell made, um, which is called Absolute Proof, Absolute Proof by Mike Lindell has been banned. It's been banned from places. It's been taken off. It's been censored. And... Um, you know, be, when when things like that occur, that's when you need to pay attention. And like I said, uh, some of the video that I saw in regards to the evidence that they had is the military people, the military set up and were were watching this entire this entire election days before the election. And, you know, actually, the military was set up more than days before. They've been set up probably years to watch everything that's been going on since before, since the 2016, since before then. They had heads up from what I understand and what I've been told. They've had heads up on this since way before then, since as early as 12, you know, and then definitely moving forward um, since before 2016 with the first election, the uh, the midterm election in 2018 the military was watching and in this election 2020 the military was watching and they have evidence of uh interference of hacking going on into a lot of these software bases and uh and these machines that were showing how they were being interfered with and uh and so that movie you really should see absolute proof and, you know, it's just funny because, like I said, when there when you are over the target in regards to what these people don't want you to know or how it would help others connect the dots, they censor you. And to that to that effect, I've seen a lot of uh, independent patriot media out there saying that they are going to back Mike Lindell and they are going to show this movie. And not only are they going to show this movie, they are going to dissect it. Frame by frame, 20 minutes by 20 minutes, they're going to show you everything that Mike Lindell shows that makes this a valid video. And I'm just going to say right now, where were these people with Shadowgate? Because why aren't they doing a 20 minute breakdown bit by bit of that movie to show how our data is being illegally stolen and used to, um, to sell to companies in other countries and that data is being you is and that is being done by um that is being done by um the 203s the warrants that they're using from the FISA courts and in order to uh in order to scalp our data so um that's something that that should be considered as well because the six month anniversary of Shadowgate is fast approaching all right, that's just some news on the election front and also on the impeachment front. Trump leads and Trump is still the president here at the Sea Report.
An article by Bob Price finds January border apprehensions jump 150% over last year. As Biden takes office, the article says the number of migrants apprehended by Border Patrol agents in January after illegally crossing the border from Mexico jumped by 157% over January 2020. The massive jump continues amidst the new Biden administration policies on border security and immigration enforcement. Border Patrol agents arrested 75,198 migrants who illegally crossed the Mexican border into the United States between ports of entry in January. According to the January Southwest Border Migration Report released by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Wednesday night, this is up from 29,205 the year before. The apprehensions marked the highest January total since 2006 when agents took more than 101,000 migrants into custody. We continue to vigilantly perform our mission to secure our borders and enhance the nation's economic prosperity by facilitating legitimate trade and travel. CBP senior official performing the duties of the commissioner, Troy Miller, emailed at 7 p.m. Wednesday night. While CBP continues to experience an increase in attempted monthly border crossings as seen since last April, the uptick seems to be occurring in a small fraction of locations across the southwest border, which is consistent with trends in years past. Information reported Wednesday night paints a different picture. Single adult apprehensions jumped by triple-digit percentages in all nine southwest border sectors, comparing January 20th to January 21st, 182% overall. Likewise, the apprehension of unaccompanied alien children also jumped in all nine southwest border sectors. The Del Rio and Big Bend sectors witnessed triple-digit percentage increases. More significantly, the Rio Grande Valley sector, the nation's busiest sector, jumped from 4,215 unaccompanied children to 7,295, an increase of 73%. January's increase marks the ninth straight month of increased border apprehensions. The low point came in April 2020 when apprehensions fell to 17,104. Bob Price serves an associate editor and senior news contributor to Breitbart, Texas. Um, yep, so that's going on there. We see we have a jump since Biden came in because anytime there's a Democrat or even a Republican who's soft on illegal immigration, people just start flocking towards the border. Now, this uh, article from Just the News says ICE investigation leads to indictment of a man who allegedly smuggled for allegedly smuggling 119 undocumented people. The article says on February 9th, a Laredo grand jury returned an indictment against Broderick Keith Rhodes, 32, from Houston, charging him with conspiracy to transport undocumented immigrants, according to a press release. An investigation headed by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Homeland Security Investigation led to a grand jury indictment against 32-year-old Houston man who was allegedly behind the wheel of a semi-truck that had 119 undocumented immigrants stashed in the trailer. 
On February 9th, a Laredo grand jury returned an indictment against Broderick Keith Rhodes, 32, from Houston, charging him with conspiracy to transport undocumented Im- immigrants, according to an ICE press release. According to court documents, the charges allege that on January 12th, authorities stopped Rhodes after he approached the Free Border Patrol checkpoint, driving a semi-truck and a refrigerated trailer, the press release says. He had claimed he was hauling lettuce and produce and produced a bill of of lading. However, law enforcement allegedly noticed discrepancies and that Rhodes appeared nervous. Further, the refrigerated trailer was set to 30 degrees, but the internal temperature was at 68, according to the charges. After a canine alerted to possible presence of contraband in the cargo area of the trailer and subsequent inspection, authorities ultimately discovered 119 undocumented immigrants. And that just goes to show that um, desire to be in this country is high for people all around the world. That story there is an example of a coyote. Now, that might not be a coyote that's smuggling you in a truck or, you know, by hand across the border. But that is someone who would be paid out to smuggle people into the States. That is an example of what a coyote is for those of you people who don't know what that term means. Um, that's what's going on. So, yeah, we see and we're going to have more immigration, illegal immigration coming into America. We talk about this at the Sea Report and we will keep that in the headlines. And finally, for session A of the Sea Report today, some international illegitimate President Biden news. Now, it seems that the illegitimate illegitimate president of the United States, Joe Biden, who we now deem here at the Sea Report, hashtag illegitimate Joe, has uh, come out of the bedroom and snuck down into his basement in his jammy jams to make a phone call to President Xi of China. This from Zero Hedge, Biden holds first phone call with Xi. Both sides offer vastly different accounts of what was said. Nearly a month after his inauguration and more than three months since the presidential election, Joe Biden held his first call with Xi Jinping since entering the White House, just days after his Secretary of State warned Beijing that Washington would hold China accountable for its abuses. In a Wednesday night tweet, Biden said that he spoke today with President Xi to offer good wishes to the Chinese people for a Lunar New Year. He also shared concerns about Beijing's economic practices, human rights abuses, and coercion of Taiwan, and told him that Biden will work with China when it benefits the American people. The White House also chimed in saying that President Biden underscored his fundamental concerns about Beijing's coercive and unfair economic practices, crackdown in Hong Kong, human rights abuses in Xinjiang, and increasingly assertive actions in the region, including toward Taiwan. President Biden committed to pursuing practical results-oriented engagements when it advances the interests of the American people and those of our allies. 
The two leaders also exchanged views on countering the COVID-19 pandemic and the shared challenges of global health security, climate change, and preventing weapons proliferation. President Biden committed, committed to pursuing practical, results-oriented engagements when it advances the interests of the American people and those of our allies, the White House said. The call, however, had vastly different content when retold from China's side. According to an account of the conversation reported by the Chinese state television, Xi said that cooperation was the only choice and that the two countries need to properly manage disputes in a constructive manner. Xi also told Biden that confrontation between China and the United States would be a disaster and the two sides should re-establish the means to avoid misjudgments. Xi also said Beijing and Washington should re-establish various mechanisms for dialogue in order to understand each other's intentions and avoid misunderstandings, the report said. Finally, and most bizarrely, Xi told Biden that he hopes the United States will cautiously handle matters related to Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Jiangjiang that deal with matters of China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Quite the opposite of what Biden reportedly told Xi. How is it possible that both sides came away with such profoundly different summaries of what was said? Maybe the two were talking without a translator. Ahead of the call, a senior U.S. official said Biden had planned to raise a number of issues with Xi, including China's crackdown on the pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong and its rep repression of Muslim Uyghurs in Jiangjiang. It wasn't clear if Hunter Biden was also discussed. The president will raise Hong Kong and Jiangjiang directly with Xi, Xi Jinping on the call and indicate that this is not just about American values, it's about universal values, the official said. It is about obligations that China itself has signed on to with respect to core international agreements. Biden's Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, angered the Chinese last month when speaking to his Chinese counterpart, Yang Jiaxi. In the first high-level interaction between countries since Biden became president, Blinken said the U.S. viewed the detention of an estimated one million Muslim Uyghurs in Jiangjiang as genocide. China's treatment of its Muslim population has sparked calls for countries to boycott the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Asked if Biden would raise the games in the call, the senior U.S. official said it would not be on the agenda. In fact, we doubt that any truly controversial topics were breached for the reason discussed in Blockbuster Report reveals how Biden family was compromised by China. Meanwhile, relations between China and the U.S. remain at rock bottom. After years of escalating trade wars between Trump and Xi, the Financial Times reported that Chinese warplanes entered Taiwan's air defense zone just after Biden's inauguration and simulated missile attacks on the USS Theodore Roosevelt aircraft carrier in the South China Sea which may explain why the U.S. has now sent a second aircraft carrier in the South China Sea, where it is holding naval exercises even as Beijing blasts the blow to peace and stability. 
On Sunday, Biden told CBS News that China would face extreme competition from the U.S. while he praised his Chinese counterpart, whom he knows from his time as Barack Obama's vice president, as very bright. He said he doesn't have a democratic bone in his body. Just a few days prior, Blinken told Yang the U.S. would stand up for democracy and human rights, signaling a hawkish stance towards China. I made clear the U.S. will hold Beijing accountable for its abuses of the international system, Blinken wrote on Twitter following the call. In response, Yang warned the U.S. not to interfere in Hong Kong and Jiangjiang, saying no one can stop the great rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. It's unclear if that means 10 for the big guy will now stop. So, I guess we'll see what happens with Biden and China, although it's quite clear from Hunter Biden's uh, receiving of money from China that uh, Biden is most likely in the pocket of the CCP and President Xi, should the CCP and Xi be working together. I've heard that there is uh, some contrary-wise evidence, but still, regardless, we see that there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff stirring between China and Taiwan, the human rights issues with the Uyghurs, and also in Hong Kong. We'll see how Biden plays this in his jammy jams from his basement. But in the meantime, Biden announces sanctions as Myanmar military tightens its grip. Let's see. This is reported. Uh, President Joe Biden announced sanctions Wednesday against Myanmar's military leaders and demanded they relinquish power after tens of thousands of people took to the streets of the Southeast Asian nation's biggest city for a fifth consecutive day, demanding a return to democracy. The popular show of force in Yangon, which came in defiance of a protest ban in Myanmar's former capital, saw crowds swarm through the city and call for the release of Aung San Suu Kyi following her ouster in a, couple la- in a coup last week. Protesters faced down police a day after authorities dispersed crowds elsewhere with tear gas and rubber bullets and ramped up their harass- harassment of the deposed leader's party. The sudden escalation of force against demonstrations sweeping the country prompted a fresh course of international condemnation after officers fired live rounds at one rally in Nepayadaw, which has been the capital since 2005. Biden said his administration was cutting off Myanmar's generals as access to $1 billion in funds in the U.S., and would soon unveil new sanctions. I again call on the Burmese military to immediately release democratic political leaders and activists they are now detaining, including Aung Song Suu Kyi and also Win Mient in the president, Biden said. The military must relinquish power. Two people were quit- critically wounded in a Nepiada incident, including one woman who was shot in the head. Images depicting her in the moments after she was shot uh, were released by Wednesday appearing on a huge protest banner and had been widely shared online alongside expressions of grief and fury. They can shoot a young woman, but they, can, they can't steal the hope and resolve of a determined people, UN Special Repertoire Dom, Tom Andrews tweeted Wednesday. 
Crowds returned to the streets of Yangon Wednesday, where the day before they had faced off against a phalanx of riot police standing alongside water cannon trunks near Su Kie's residence. Biden's remarks come after European Union foreign policy chief Joseph Burrell warned the bloc could impose fresh sanctions on Myanmar's military, but said any measures should be targeted to avoid hitting the wider population. Biden said the U.S. would work with our international partners to urge other nations to join us in these efforts. We see journalists detained. More politicians from Su Kie's National League of, for Democracy were detained Tuesday along with 30 others, including a journalist from local broadcaster DVB at a protest in Mandalay, the Associated Association, the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners monitoring group said. Their arrests in Yangon came as police fired tear gas at protesters who were waving red NLD flags. State media reported the crowd had thrown objects at police and injured four officers, its first direct mention of the protests since they began on the weekend. Therefore, the police members dispersed in accordance with the methods and laws. The state-run Global New Light on Myanmar newspaper reported, without mentioning other police confrontations elsewhere in the country. Hundreds of protests in Mandalay were undeterred Wednesday, returning to the streets carrying signs that said, Down with Dictatorship. Elsewhere, the, dis the discipline of security forces appeared to be breaking down, with four officers defecting from their lines in the east eastern town of Loikwa to join the anti-coup protests, according to local media reports. Soldiers raided NLD headquarters in Yangon after night fell, but party member So Win told AFP that his colleagues had been prevented from intervening due to a blanket curfew imposed on the city. The following morning, he arrived on the scene to find the door locks broken, computer equipment missing, server cables cut, and bank documents taken from a safe box. The military justified last week's power grab by claiming widespread voter fraud in November polls, which saw a landslide for Su Kie's party. It's quickly moved to stack courts and political offices with loyalists. In the 10 days since Army Chief Min Ong Hlaing ousted the Nobel laureate from power and ended a decade of civilian rule, Myanmar has been roiled by burgeoning civil disobedience campaign and massive street protests. Medical staff, air traffic controllers, and teachers have staged strikes while others have fastened red ribbons on their uniforms for posed or, or posed for photos while brandishing the three-finger salute adopted by the anti-coup movements. By Wednesday, the military announced that special hotlines have been set up for civil servants to report if they were being bullied for not participating in anti-coup activities. A tech-focused Myanmar civil society organization also tweeted that a draft cybersecurity bill had been sent to telecom companies, which last week were ordered to briefly shut down internet services. According to MIDO, the bill will also will allow the military to order shutdown website bans, content takedowns, and interceptions, while also requiring social media platforms to hand over users' metadata to authorities upon request.
The Human Rights Council has said it would hold a special session on Friday to discuss the crisis. So this is an interesting um, this is an interesting take on events here in Myanmar, with the military taking a coup over the uh, over the elected Democrat democratically elected party there, um, the National League of Democracy and Su Kie, who was the one elected. Now, here's the important thing to note. What we're seeing in Myanmar with the military overtaking Kie, you have to be kind of careful about how you see it, because we don't know who actually these protesters are in the streets. After all, has the media not reported that the 1.7 million people there for the Electoral Day uh, MAGA Million March protest rally were there. Has the media not portrayed them all as being armed and violent? Yes, they have. We don't know because the media often takes on the spin of those who own them, and they are owned by six companies. And again, these people are globalist, elitist, um, you know, billionaires. These people only have globalist interests. They don't have America first interests. And so what we're witnessing in Myanmar could very well be that uh, the military has taken over um, taken over a government that has been uh, placed there. And the elections, they say, had a lot of discrepancies. So they just want to go in and make sure everything was OK. And then they would clear out and hand over the election back to um, back to Kiev, I guess, basically release them. But we also see that in the time, in the 10 years that they are democratically held, that Myanmar, Burma, had become one of the biggest human trafficking and child sex trafficking areas um, of violation for human human rights. And um, that's another reason why we also saw Clinton and um, Obama backing them up heavily and also supporting the Burmese government when it was under Kiev. So these are things to think about. This is something that we could be seeing here in America. We could be seeing Biden being taken in by the uh, military for illegitimately assuming office and uh, committing treason against the United States. And we could have the media spinning a crazy story that the military is basically committing a coup over America. And this is another reason why Trump had to be out of the picture because they would have declared Trump a dictator. And there's no telling what would have happened then. Maybe the media would have rallied uh, the crown colony of uh, the United Kingdom and Australia and Canada to attack America because a dictator had taken over under Trump. Um, optics are everything when it comes to this, but we'll have to stay, we'll have to keep our ears on the ground in regards to what's going on in Myanmar because now we have Biden declaring sanctions on them and he's trying to rally the world uh, the world leaders behind him in order to go ahead and take care of this. So uh, world is very volatile since Biden assumed an illegitimate role of president in the United States. Donald Trump as president had worked towards peace and had brought peace to several nations. And uh, he didn't start a single war at the time that he was in office. And we see here uh, Biden's already not only instigating, but he's also uh, getting involved in things that he clearly doesn't understand. But uh, is just doing as he's told 
which is what these people seem to do when they assume office because we know they don't care about America, they don't care about Americans, they don't care about the Constitution, they only care about themselves and advancing their own illegitimate gains. For Session A of The C Report, this is Mr. C, brought to you by Q&A Holes Podcast. Stay tuned tonight for the Mr. C and Magadon Show. And as always, show us some support over at qnaholespodcast.com. We'll talk to you later and enjoy the rest of your evening. Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? Get the chilling new novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Casares. <laughs>